We're going to be back in the book of Acts tonight. We're doing our, our series through the book of Acts. And tonight we find ourselves uh, in chapter 17, Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, in this particular uh, setting, we uh, are going to be looking at the Bereans uh, and how they were eager examiners of the scriptures. And so I'm going to be reading uh, just a couple verses tonight from Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 10 and reading down through verse 13. It says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of a men, of the men, not a few. When the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Here uh, is the town of Berea, just to kind of give you a, um, an idea of geographically uh, what we see here, uh, we find that uh, they uh, had started off and moved from Philippi down to Thessalonica, and then they continue on uh, from Thessalonica just a short distance over to Berea. Uh, Berea was uh, known uh, today. If you go, there's a couple of sites there. Uh, that people have set up as a place where they believe that Paul uh, may have actually preached to the people of Berea. And in this one picture that you can see, uh, it depicts uh, Paul preaching and the eagerness of the people uh, in this scene uh, shows them uh, with the uh, watching and listening and probably processing everything uh, mentally through their minds. What now? We don't know if, uh, if if this depicts exactly where this took place, but there is a, a heritage at any rate that uh, these people to this day uh, want to capture uh, about this very important text of scripture. Berea was about forty-five miles from Thessalonica. Uh, Cicero, uh, the historian, said it was off the beaten track. The town lay at the foot of Mount Bermius. It was on a, off of a tributary of a, a large river, really the, the longest river in that region. And it was the first city in that region that fell to the Romans as they invaded there. Paul and his company, when they came to Berea, they were probably more concerned about their escape to Thessalonica or from Thessalonica than anything because of uh, the stirring up that had taken place there. But they were continuing on the main highway that the Romans had there. It does not seem that the Berea, that Berea was uh, in their maybe original track of where they were headed, but maybe just a, a good way to get away from uh, what the Thessalonians were trying to stir up. But they found them anyway, as we read. Uh, otherwise, they would have been able to sell right from Thessalonica and go to Athens from there. In Acts chapter 20, later on in verse four, Paul mentions 
a convert from the town of Berea by the name of Sopater. So there does continue to be uh, a, a group of people that are believers there and that are even spreading out, which is a good sign of the health of that church. It is also a common tradition, though it's not found in the Bible, but historically uh, it is believed that the pastor of the church of Berea may have in fact been Onesimus. You're thinking, where have I heard that name before? Well, he is uh, the slave that's mentioned in the book of Philemon, who Paul has the opportunity to uh, lead to the Lord, disciple, encourage him to go back and reconcile with his master. And, and then Paul tries to work with his master, Philemon, about receiving him as a brother in the Lord, not just as a, as a servant. And uh, if this is the case, what a... Uh, what a neat ending of that story it would be. Again, it's not found in the Bible, but it historically is, is passed down. But what we do know is that the Bereans are often lauded as good examples for their serious attitude towards the Scripture. In fact, some of you that may be listening to me have visited in churches where they might have an adult Sunday school class, and they've named it the Berean class, and that's a great name to give to a Bible study or to a Sunday school class because of the, the uh, commendation that the scripture gives of these people and their eagerness to examine what the word of God has to say, which is something that we're all called to do. What can we learn about these eager examiners? Well, first of all, let's talk about their eagerness. They did have an eagerness of the word. The first way in which the people are commended was for their receptivity to Scripture. Uh, the word receive here in this verse is more than just permitting to enter, like you might allow someone to come into the house. It means literally to welcome in. There is a, a gladness about this and, and not just an acceptance of it. The best way to describe this to me is. Uh, is imagining when we come home, and it doesn't matter if I've just gone out to check the mail, I am almost always greeted with a very joyous individual when I come to the door, and it is our dog, Fritz. Uh, he, he, he loves, and I think it's more that he's probably jealous that he didn't get to go out with us than anything, but you at least feel that uh, you are being eagerly welcomed in by this little pet. You know, it's this way that we need to receive the Word of God with zeal in our own hearts. We have opportunities to open the Scripture and to not just hear the stories of the Bible, but to realize, God, you are teaching me out of your Word. I get to hear your truth, things that you have intentionally carved down into this book that we call the Bible. And as it says in the book of John, there's many other things that could have been written, but these have been written for our admonition. We, we need to understand that uh, what we have here is, is all we need, and it's enough for us. And so we should be excited to go to the Bible in every section and to gain the blessings and to have an eager ear for what it has to say. This spirit is talked about in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. It says, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. All of us would like to think of ourselves as being wise individuals. We certainly don't want to aspire to be fools. But 
being wise assumes the fact that we're going to have a right disposition. We're going to have a right attitude towards truth. Well, the Bible is the embodiment of truth, the most important truth that God would have for us. I wonder if God did not design things in our life like my little dog just to remind me how excited I need to be as I come to the scriptures on a daily basis. Remember in John chapter 11, it says that Jesus was there uh, with Mary and Martha. And it says, and when she, Martha, had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly. This was when Lazarus had passed away. And, and so Jesus has come with his disciples. And he call, and she calls Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now you say, well, I would get up and go quickly too if the master was calling for me. But I think we need to realize that this is the word of God, our Bible. And, and the Lord in a very real way is calling to us through his word every time that we come to its pages. Explaining anticipation for the scriptures uh, we can all think about things that we anticipate. You might think about a, a meal. Sometimes when we're uh, at church on Sundays and you know we're getting out around noon and we're finishing our fellowship time in the lobby before we go home, and we're all looking forward to getting being able to do that sort of thing again. But a lot of times we cut that fellowship a little short because why? We're thinking, you know, there's lunch at home or we're going to the restaurant and our, our stomachs are going off and it's, it's inviting us because of our appetites in that way. We don't have too much trouble most of the time uh, being reminded that we need to eat. There's an internal mechanism that God has given to us called hunger and appetite that helps us to make sure we don't starve to death. We need a similar appetite for God's word. Job, who went through so much tribulation and difficulties in his life, he had a right attitude when it came to God's word. In Job 23, 12, it says, I, I have esteemed thy words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Probably very few of us can identify to the degree of what Job is saying here. We love the word of God, but... Are we willing to, or is it natural for us, really, to say that, you know, I could easily forget to eat because I got so caught up in what the Lord was showing to me in my quiet time? Or if I had to pick and choose, like, do I stop and eat a meal to give myself physical nutrition, or do I, I keep enjoying the meat of the scripture? Uh, what way would we go? Well, Job was able to weather the tribulations that he went through, I think, largely because he already had this heart practice. He loved the word of God. and That is what largely sustained him during that time of horrible tribulation in his life. Job's not the only Old Testament individual that expressed his love and his dependence on the word of God. Jeremiah, the prophet, we often call him the weeping prophet. He, he was brokenhearted over what was going on with his, his countrymen. It says in Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found and I did eat them. 
and thy words were unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Again, he uses that same analogy of like eating a meal, consuming it. Why? Because his soul was hungry. His spirit was in need of that biblical nutrition. David said in Psalm 119, 127, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yeah, above fine gold. You know, we get excited when we get a really nice piece of jewelry and, uh, and it appraises at a high value. We ought to treasure the scripture and its truths and its precepts and its principles. Why? Because the nicest necklace will never help give us guidance through life like a good understanding of God's word will. Imagine for a minute what a gathering would have been like in that day. The believers would have been licking up the morsels of the study of the, of the Bible for these Bereans. Maybe, maybe they regularly got together. Maybe there was only one scroll. Very likely might have been the case in the synagogue. Not everybody could pull out their, their pocket scrolls of, of the Pentateuch and be able to read it on their own. And so they would come together, and so they were eager for that purpose. Perhaps we don't always have a, an appetite for uh, the milk and the meat of the Word of God. It could be because we've, we're consuming other things that are filling up our soul. One of my favorite meals growing up, my mother would probably remember this, was fried chicken. Still is one of my favorite meals. And I was always good for, you know, two pieces of dark meat, a thigh and a drumstick, something like that. Mashed potatoes and gravy or whatever else was being served. Always enjoyed that. But I remember on one occasion that I came home and I think it might have even been for my birthday. My mother had made it for me and it was a school day. And that particular day, uh, they had had a, a party at school. Of course, there was cake and cookies and things like that. And so that being late in the day, by the time supper rolled around just a few hours later, I wasn't able to enjoy the chicken dinner, the homemade chicken dinner, as much as I often was in the past. Why? Well, because I had consumed so much of this other party food. You know, maybe we are getting filled up on on things that uh, the world is offering, or even vain things. They may not be wicked things, kind of like what the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, we need to lay aside every sin and the weight that does so easily beset us. Those weights, probably a large category of items in that particular description of things. We understand this when it comes to, going back to the analogy of food, uh, as we get older and wiser, hopefully, we understand that our mouth still craves things that are sweet, candy and the ice cream and uh, all those different things. But we also understand the importance of getting uh, a meal with protein in it, fiber and, and good nutrition, such as our vegetables, things like that. You know, but if we're spoiling our dinner, as our mothers used to warn us about, then we may not have the room and may not be as eager to be able to consume what we really need to be eating. Well, friend, let's be careful. We're not filling our minds, our heart, and our affections with things that are going to compete with the preciousness of God's Word. We can sometimes quote so many things 
we've stored up so many facts of information in our mind. And I, and I regret that I, I spent way too much time uh, putting vain things into my head as a youth growing up. Those things will never help me to stand against sin and spiritual warfare. Knowing God's word and hiding it in my heart so that I might not sin against him, that's a different matter, isn't it? And so now there's an eagerness. Friend, don't, if you're new to the faith, if you're young, don't waste your years pursuing the vanity of things, of this life. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. The Bereans, they had an eagerness. They, secondly, they were actively examining the word. Now, many of the Thessalonians did not receive the teaching of Paul because of their envy. You can look back at, at verse 5. We didn't read this today, but this is from uh, last week. It says, the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows. They concocted this whole plan. Why? Because they were jealous of Paul. He was coming in, and he was getting people to follow him and listen to him. And the Jews had previously, before Paul came into town, they had that position. They had that influence. They didn't like this. They weren't listening to what Paul was saying as far as the content. Uh, they just wanted to get rid of him and silence him and discredit him because they wanted their position back of influence. Now, we have no reason to think that Paul used a different approach when he went to Berea than when he had been in Thessalonica. We know in both cases, verse 1 and verse 10, both tell us that he went to the synagogue. That seems to be his pattern where there is one. He goes there first, helping the people to see from the Bible what God said about the Christ. And if, and if that's the case, then argument is futile. If they can say, okay, this, this is what God said about the Christ that's coming, and here's, here's what Jesus is. Here's how he fulfills this. The Thessalonians did not seem to have difficulty with giving respect to the, the teaching of Paul at least the ones that believe. And that's really what he seems to be comparing here when he says they're more noble than Thessalonians, even those that believed in Thessalonica. I'm not talking about the, the Jews that were against Paul, but we re later read, because we have the benefit of a letter to the Thessalonian believers, two actually, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Paul writing back to that church of Thessalonica, when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So what he's saying here is he's giving a, a compliment to them. He's pointing out is, I know when I stood up to preach, you didn't just say, well, you know, that's Paul's way of thinking. They listened, they heard what he had to say, but they realized, but this isn't just Paul saying this. We're able to look in our Bibles and realize He's teaching us scripturally. We call this exposition. He was exposing what the word of God already said and then applying it to life. By the way, this is good biblical preaching, just like I'm trying to do right now, saying this is what the Bible says, and this is what it means, and therefore this is how it applies to our life. So hopefully the argument isn't, well, that's just Pastor Wood's way of thinking about things. It's like, no, I saw the Bible for myself. Hopefully you have a Bible open in front of you on your lap, uh, either a bound copy or a tablet or something where you're seeing the scriptures in front of you. 
so that you're being a, a Berean, if you would, in that way. So then how were the Thessalonians and the Berean different? One thing this demonstrates is that they had a high regard for into the Thessalonians for the authority of Scripture. But it is implied that the way that the Bible was handled uh, was authoritative and final in their lives. In other words, if, if this is what the Bible says, then this is what we're going to do. However, they didn't go back to it like the Bereans did. They didn't say, hmm, I'm going to search. They would say, oh, this is what the Bible says. We need to give a great respect to that because it's what God's word says. The Bereans were taking it a step further. They were saying, you know what? I'm going to go back and, and check that out for myself. Uh, if this were today, it would be like, I see some cross-references in my Bible. I'm going to look that up. I'm going to get out my strong concordance. I'm going to ch chase these words down. Now, no good conscientious preacher will be insulted by that. In fact, they'll be excited that you've been urged and you've been motivated to dig deeper into the Word. Because that's what it's all about. Uh, the best thing to do is to have a, a church full of Berean-spirited people. Now, lest we see these Bereans as cynical and mistrusting, remember that they were initially very open to the teaching of the Word. They, they listened to what Paul had to say, but they were protective of the truth and the reality. They, they didn't want to be led astray. After all, Paul was a man. He wasn't perfect. Other people that came in. So they had a duty to make sure that they were allowing the Holy Spirit with inside of them to go to the Word of God. And as John later writes to us in one of his epistles, we have an unction of the Holy Spirit that leads us. And to some degree, we have no need that any man teaches because we are taught of God. Now, it doesn't mean we dismiss the need for teachers. They have their role. They help us. They show us truth. I like to listen to good preaching that challenges my soul, gives me insights, ways of thinking about a text that maybe hadn't dawned on me before. But I always want to be careful to go back and say, does that really square with everything else that I see in the Scripture? Matthew Henry, the commentator, said, the doctrine of Christ does not fear scrutiny. And that's very true, because if it's truth, it will not be shaken. It will not be discredited. Remember Psalm 1? Many of you maybe have memorized the opening verses or the whole chapter. It's not a very long chapter, but it talks about the blessed man. Who? What is a man that is really blessed of the Lord? And it starts off by talking about how he doesn't do certain associations with people. But verse 2 goes, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And as a result of doing that, he's then described in the next verse as this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Having those roots down into that water system, he knows that that, that tree is, is never going to uh, fear drought in that kind of situation. We similarly need to sink our roots into the Scripture and know that uh, as we meditate on the law of God, the Scripture, the truth of it, day and night, going about our business, just always letting the ideas of Scripture wash through our mind and think about how it applies to daily life, 
That is what will make us truly a blessed individual. In John 3, 21, Jesus said, He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You know, if you're a credible person, you're not going to have any problem with having light shine on you. You're going to be a very open person about it. You know, if a if a person goes to a pastor or a teacher of the Word of God and says, you know, I have some questions about this, and there's an immediate defensiveness about this and, and a vagueness about it, then that may be a sign for caution. But, but if there instead is an openness and says, you know what, you know, I have conscientiously tried to prepare this message or to give this lesson as I, as I think the Lord had me to do it. Here's here's the basis of scriptures that I've used and, and what it teaches, and here's how it's supported in other places. This is exactly what the Word of God is telling us we should do. In fact, Jesus said to the people of his day in John 5, 39, search the scriptures. Do that. Get in your Bible. Of course, he's talking about the Old Testament at that point. The New Testament wasn't around yet. Search the scriptures. And then he adds this to it. For in them, ye think ye have eternal life. I mean, that's, that's part of our main motivation, our, our striving and our expectation of life after death really is motivated, motivates us to go back to the Bible. Because the bottom line is, we know that this life is going to end. We won't live physically forever. And so that's a very startling thought that gets people to begin to think about God and about Scripture. In fact, I find that when I have the opportunity to minister to people around the setting of a funeral, they're way more open often to what the Scripture has to say. Why? Because they're reminded of their mortality. And so you search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And then here's the last thing he says in that verse. And they are they which testify of me. See, the, the revelation of the Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, if you didn't hear this morning's message, to, to go back because it really uh, syncs up nicely at this point because we were talking about the two disciples on the road of Emmaus and how Jesus began in the Old Testament uh, all the way back to the writings of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and all the way through the prophets and pointed out how the scriptures pointed to him. And, and so this is what the Bereans were appreciating, no doubt, as well. But the third thing I want you to see is they enjoyed the effect of the word. People were saved in verse 12. It says, therefore, many of them believe. I have a, a commentary by Dr. Stuart Custer. He was one of my professors in college, and he wrote a a commentary on the book of Acts called Witness to Christ. And in it, uh, on this uh, chapter 17, verse 12 verse, uh, he makes this statement, kind of a personal testimony. I'd like to read it to you. He says, when I was young, I had five attacks of rheumatic fever, the last one bringing heart failure. Death was near, yet improvement came. I was confined to bed for almost a year and was out of school recovering for four more years. During this time, my grandmother gave me a King James text Bible. Since about all I could do was read, I began to read beginning in Genesis. Although there was much that I did not understand, I did recognize the portrait of a coming deliverer. 
When I got to the Gospels, I saw that the person was Jesus Christ. In Acts, I learned about the salvation offered to those who would believe in him. In Romans, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Paul later writes in Romans 7.19, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Paul's cry was mine. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I saw the answer in the next verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I slipped from the bed, knelt alongside it, and asked the Lord Jesus to save me from my sins and make me a child of God. He did. From that day, January 9th, 1946 to the present, I have searched the scriptures with a consuming passion. It has brought blessing and joy inexpressible. May God grant that the reader may come to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. I thought that was just a, a very heartwarming testimony of how someone had just begun to pick up a Bible, begun to read it, not knowing what to expect. God drew them through the word of God. And it became a lifelong Berean in so many words. So what can we learn from the Berean Christian? Here are a few important things that I think we can learn. First, we need to make the word of God our sole basis for truth, what is truth, and what is error. So many Christians today run to sources other than the Bible. And even in the preparation of this message, I've consulted commentaries, read articles, research things on the internet. There's nothing wrong with looking at some of these secondary sources. But there is no better, more accurate, fallible source of godly instruction other than the Bible itself. Compare the Bible with the Bible. It cannot contradict itself. Friend, don't minimize the time that you spend in Scripture hearing what God's Word itself says. That's how you'll know right from wrong. Secondly, we need to diligently search the scriptures daily. This isn't about having daily devotions. As one person says, this is about having our daily rations. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, my food is or my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He mentions that in John chapter 4. So let's follow the example of Jesus Christ in doing that. And then thirdly, we will be ready to receive God's truth when we soak ourselves in the word. The Bereans were ready for the truth of the gospel of Christ because they kept searching God's word for truth. They never, they never stopped feeling like, well, we've got enough for a while. We're satisfied. No, they, when they found the truth that they found, they went looking and digging for more truth. When Paul and Silas came preaching the gospel to them, many of them were quick to see the reality of Jesus Christ and believe in him. That's not that an amazing thing? But why did that work that way? Because they already knew what to expect based on how much they had been soaking up. And there may be some blessings that you and I might be missing in just normal daily life because we haven't been doing our homework in advance. We don't have the prerequisites taken care of. You can't go on to higher education and appreciate the glories 
We can't get the strong meat of the word if we're still in the milk area. Such readiness for God's new things can only come to those that soak themselves in God's word. So, let's all devour the word of God like an infant craves the milk of the word. May God help us all to be eager examiners of God's truth. Father, I thank you for your word and the reminder to us from the example of these believers here in the town, the community of Berea. Lord, it's so easy for our flesh to gain control, for laziness to set in. I pray that we would be stirred of the essentialness of being in the Word of God, knowing what the Scriptures say. Lord, we don't have to have multiple degrees. We don't have to be able to understand ancient languages. Any, any education that we have can be a help to us. But Lord, we need to come and we need to open ourselves to your guidance. We need to make use of tools that we're given. But Lord, we're, we're thankful to know that the Bible itself is the backbone of all truth. That's where we need to focus ourselves. So Lord, may we be noble. May we seek that nobility free and were said to have because we search the scriptures daily as these things being so. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.